of the podcast. This is You Gotta Watch This. I'm your host, Aaron, and with me is your host, Nick. Hi, Aaron and listeners. <laughs> this is the podcast where Nick and I, as your co-hosts, we talk about all the films in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Every single one of in them. In order. All 23 as of the time of the recording of this podcast. And we we watch them first. I will say that we watch them, and then we talk about them on the podcast. Uh-huh. And but there's a little bit of a twist. Tell me about you the see, twist. I'm, I'm very familiar with these films. I've seen them all many times. Even these new ones, these ones that we're on now, I've still seen them many many times. <laughs> and uh, but Nick, you're watching these for the first time. Yeah. And would it be true to say that before today, before a few hours ago, you had never seen the movie we're about to discuss? Oh yeah. That would be an accurate statement. That's a very accurate statement. I had a feeling it would be. And so we're we're going to talk about it. And of course, this is episode 21, which means we'll be talking about film 21, Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel, named after Marvel. That uh, Kind of. We'll talk about that. Okay. Um, but uh, this film is the first film of 2019, the first MCU film of 2019. The first 2019, film ever of 2019. It came out the stroke of midnight <laughs> on January 1st. <laughs> Um, no, it was March 8th, 2019, and uh, let's do, as we always do, uh, let's segue into Nick's hot take. Yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed it. I yeah. I didn't, I'm not like, you know, in love with it, or I'm not coming out being like, that's a, that's a master work of cinema, sure. but like, that was a great movie. Yeah. It was, um, it was very enjoyable. I, 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 I know that's kind of a lukewarm, like kind of response to something I'm saying <laughs> I'm liking, but, uh, yeah. I don't know. It, it, it hit all the notes and I don't know. It just, it, it did everything right. I, I think this is kind of a side effect of the MCU where you're, and it, it can be like this for other franchises too, where it's just the highs are so high and like, it's also good that like a totally serviceable, like great sci-fi action movie is like yeah it's good you yeah know, i liked it you know <laughs> right and like on its own you'd be like that movie was awesome if it just came out of nowhere and uh-huh. it was just like oh in march here's gonna be this crazy sci-fi comic book adaptation starring brie larson and jude law uh, and that bending and you'd be like wow and you'd watch it you'd be like that was so cool you yeah. know who, who would do this but as entry number 21 <laughs> in yeah. this huge you know, multi-billion-dollar franchise. It starts. They things do start to get a little lost. Yeah. You know, in, yeah. in it, and so I think. But I think that's a natural reaction. But uh, I think taken on its own, I, I I agree with you. I think this is a a great film, uh, and one I enjoy watching. Uh, so for the people who didn't just watch it, even though it's been out for a year and one month and ten days as of the time <laughs> of recording, uh, but some people might not have have not watched it since so why don't we do nick's patented three minute recap yeah where you will have to you take three minutes and uh we'll put three minutes on the clock here put it on the board and i'm not going to show you the the timer oh man that was super helpful last time (laughs) you still went over (laughs) so i guess it was not that helpful (laughs) so you got three minutes on the timer and you have to you what you're doing is You've got the plot, and you have to do it with Are as you, much detail as already. possible. I mean, it's not important when I've started ah! the timer. <laughs> okay. All right. So Captain Marvel, that's ridiculous. Captain Marvel has powers. Okay. She, she lives on Hala. 
right. She goes to. Uh, I get some free seconds at the end because of that one. She goes to see the supreme <laughs> intelligence. She has no memory of her past. Um, she's a Cree soldier, and she gets this rescue mission assigned to her. Um, so she goes uh, looking for this operative. Um, there's these shapeshifters there. There's a big fight scene, and she gets captured by. I wrote peeps. I don't know why I wrote peeps. She gets captured by peeps. Uh, now she's a uh, U.S. fighter pilot, and you realize these are her memories. Uh, they're going through her memories, lots of memories. They're trying to identify this person named Dr. Lawson in her memories. They want um, this light speed engine that this Dr. Lawson was working on. Um, so she tries to escape. She unleashes her powers, um, gets in an escape pod, and gets out of this ship. Um, she crashes into a blockbuster on Earth in the mid-90s. Um, Agent Coulson is there, and so is Nick Fury with two eyes. Um, uh, two eyeballs. <laughs> uh, this is... <laughs> oh, I thought you spelled it wrong in your notes. <laughs> I was like, why would you make... That's your name, Nick. <laughs> Nick Fury. This is... Uh, uh, okay, I wrote... This is the 90s, by the way. Uh, they witness uh, a scroll attack, um, and they believe her. Um that she's, you know, uh, from another planet. So Coulson is, turns out, uh, he was a shapeshifter, um, and he fights with Fury. Um, Veers, um, who is Captain Marvel, um, loses the other one that she's after. Um, so Fury, back then, is part of S.H.I.E.L.D., so they're S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. Um, they autopsy the alien and go looking for Veers, and it turns out um, Fury's boss has been shapeshifted. He's an alien. Um, he's a, uh, I'll think of what they are, um, <laughs> later <laughs> once I'm done with this. All right. She goes to, um, Poncho's bar from her memories. Um, Fury meets up with her and they kind of decide to team up and they go to, um, the Pegasus facility where this Lawson was working. Um, turns out Lawson, uh, is dead. Um, she crashed a test plane with a pilot. Uh, big surprise. It was Brie Lawson's character. Um, uh, Danvers, Carol Danvers. Um, so Lawson uh, also turns out was an undercover Cree. Okay, so she's working on uh, this stuff on Earth uh, undercover. So Fury's boss is a scroll. Already said that. Um, so Veers winds up saving Fury. Um, then they escape in a plane. Uh, the other Cree. Uh, who she's buddies with, like her mentor guy. Um, they're talking to Ronan. You remember him? They're talking to Ronan. Um, so he was from, uh, we'll talk about that, Guardians. Uh, Veers <laughs> uh, goes to see Rambo, um, her old friend. And Talos, that's the guy's name, um, the alien guy, tracks her down there. Um, he wants to talk. Um, he is... Uh, so sort of flashback to the crash with Lawson. It was uh, actually her Cree mentor, um, whose name is Jan Rog, who I'm also going to call Young Rug for the entirety of this episode, because <laughs> that's hilarious to me. Um, so Young Rug, uh, it was him that shot her down, or shot them down. Um, so she shoots the energy core. That's how she got her powers. Um, and young, young Rug actually t uh, decides to take her because she's infused with this power. So they're kind of the bad guys. Big twist. Um, and it turns out the scroll guy just wants to escape from the evil Kree. Um, that's why they want the light speed engine. Um, so uh, I wrote mentor enemy is after her. Um, his name is Jan Rog. Um, so they all go to uh, Marvell's lab in orbit. Um, the core, turns out, is the Tesseract Infinity Stone, which is, I think, the Space Stone. Um, Skrull uh, have been living in the space station, including Talos' family. Um, that's really why he wanted to go. Um, so, you know, they're the good guys after all. 
Um, so Yamrog <laughs> shows up. Um, they take the stone. Uh, she communes and talks to the supreme intelligence. Uh, cool montage of her standing up over and over again. Um, and she says, my name is Carol. And she bursts free and takes the stone. Um, the cat swallows it. There's a cat um, that's not really a cat. Um, big fight scene. They escape in the ship. There's a big ship chase. It's cool. Ronan shows up to blow up the earth, but Carol blows up all his stuff instead. Uh, Ronan retreats but says, I'll be back. Uh, so she sends Yanrog back with a message to the Supreme Intelligence that she's going to end the war. Um, and she gives Fury this pager to communicate um, with her. She says, for emergencies only. And she flies off into space. So Fury starts the Protector Initiative. He changes the name. Um, he decides to change the name to the Avenger Initiative because of Carol's flight nickname. Uh, mm. So that's the end of the movie. Go to the mid-credit scene. Uh, we're in the post-snapping. Um, the Avengers are trying to keep sending that signal, um, and then Captain Marvel shows up. She's like, "Where's Fury?" Um, then post-credit scene, you just see Goose. That's the little um, cat. That's not a cat, and he <laughs> hairballs up the Tesseract. Boom! Three minutes. Hello. Ah, uh, you were over, but I gotta say that was probably one of your closest yet. Yeah, that was pretty good. Very succinct. Very Three, succinct. Three oh one. So time it. Call Guinness. Um, so let's talk about this as a. <laughs> I just I just got it. There you go. Uh, let's let's talk about this film as as a movie. Okay. Uh, as I mentioned, is the first film of MCU film of twenty nineteen. Uh, made over a billion dollars. That's a lot of clams. Uh, this is the thing where these movies started. I think it might have been Black Panther the year before. I mean, they, they'd made over a billion dollars before, but these were now the non-team-up movies were starting to make a billion dollars. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so this was $1.1 billion. Uh, Did you notice the opening was all Stan Lee cameos? Yeah, I, I, we, it, I guess this was right after he had uh, passed... Yeah, he he passed in November of 2018. Okay, and so this was the first one to be released since then. So I we almost never talk about his cameos, but he's had a cameo in all the movies. Was this yeah. the first time that he's played himself? <laughs> I uh, yeah, pretty much. He always has a as a character. Yeah, but in this case, he was yeah he was sort of playing himself. I guess I never thought about that. Wasn't he holding the Mulrat script, practicing the line he has in that? <laughs> That is a very good catch. You I know, think, I didn't really. I think that's I what never he's put doing. that together. Yeah, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. That is that's what he was doing. Yeah, so he's playing himself in 1995. That's great. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I appreciated that one. That was pretty neat. Um, go ahead. Uh, so, um, yeah. So he had just passed. Um. Yeah, the opening thing was all him, and the, what was the little message? It said something like, thank you, Stan. Yeah, yeah. something like that. Yeah. yeah, that was nice. I'm glad they did that. Me too. I thought it was a nice touch. Now, the, what, go ahead. Was he, um, you said, we've talked about him off and on, about some of the characters he's created. Was it? Was he, um, there was somebody he didn't get along with, but he, he worked with a lot, right? Is that correct? Um, yeah, so that would have been uh, Steve Ditko, okay. who um, now, they wh- co-created Spider-Man together. Was was it just that they just butted heads, or was Stan Lee a tough guy well, to work with? So Stan Lee was kind of like a, 
like a hype man, you know, like he, he was creative, but he wasn't an artist, you know, Uh and he came up with the stories, but he was also a big part of like the publicity of the comic books. And yeah, there's a reason we all know Stan Lee Uh and we know what he looks like. Even people who don't read comic books know who Stan Lee is. Yeah. It's because he loves the publicity. He loved being out in front of the camera Uh and talking about these things. And so some of the people he worked with kind of saw him as, um, at best, just kind of a showboaty kind of, you know, hog in the spotlight kind of guy. And at worst, taking credit for things that maybe he shouldn't be taking credit for. Uh, okay. Um, so there was a lot of, yeah, there was a lot of that. Um, they, um, Steve Ditko was also difficult to work with. Uh. Very reclusive. Um, they died, uh, I think within a couple months of each other, actually. Yeah. Um, and they, so they he uh stan lee was the creditor of the writing spider-man whereas steve dicko did the the artwork but steve dicko also like he would get like kind of a rough outline from stan lee and so he's the one who like plotted like what each panel would look like and so he was like i deserve more than just drawing this you know like i'm creating this out of like whole cloth basically yeah and and so there was you know a little bit of that but that's you know for good or for bad that that was kind of stan lee's persona and Hmm. you know it worked because we wouldn't have these movies if he wasn't like that probably right yeah absolutely he was the biggest cheerleader for marvel um yeah so it it was a nice little tribute to him uh in this it, it won't be his last cameo but um clearly you know they they've only recorded but so many before mm-hmm. he passed so we're we're approaching his last yeah um let's talk about um the cast the the lead obviously Brie Larson yeah who is um you know one of my favorites she's a fantastic actress yeah i thought she did really well in this there were a few times that I thought maybe she, like the writing didn't align with the way she wanted to play the character. Like she had one line, and it was supposed to be kind of like a, you know, like one of those just a funny kind of superhero line, like right before she gets into a fight. Mm-hmm. Um, it's on the space station, and she says something. Oh, I can't remember what it is. She's like, "Anybody want to?" Oh, right. No, I don't remember what it was. Anybody want to tell <laughs> me if these things come off? No. All right. And then she like fights them with it on, and it just yeah. felt very strange. Like, <laughs> other than that, I thought she was fantastic. I I actually quite enjoy her like kind of dry, you know, like she's it's it's a very dry sense of humor that that I enjoy. But I I know what you're saying yeah. there. I, I speaking of that fight scene, I thought it was great to see her with those giant like things on her arms. Yeah. It was really funny. She looked like and Mega no Man. Shoes. She looked like what? Mega Man. Oh, yeah, I can see that, especially because they're, like, glowing, you know? Yeah. Um, I liked the thread that, like, the Kree kind of implied that, like, we gave you these powers. Uh-huh. Uh, but they just, you know, they obviously, they were, you know, kind of related. But really, you know, she almost gave herself the powers by shooting that Yeah, well, uh, that's, that's exactly how I see it. Yeah, she gave herself the powers, and they were, they kind of had, like, that chip or whatever in her neck that was helping her yeah. channel it, but also sort of limiting her. Yeah, it was definitely a way to control her. And, mm-hmm. you know, I... I th- I guess they were thinking since, I, and I would imagine they probably tried to extract the energy from her. That's why they mm-hmm. took her initially. And when they realized they couldn't, they were like, well, we'll just train her and brainwash her and she'll work for us. Yeah. And, you know, we'll use her a la 
the Winter Soldier or whatever. You know, right. she'll be she'll be a an operative for the Kree. Um, so did you see that twist coming that she was actually a human? Uh, I mean, I kind of piece it together pretty early on. Mm-hmm. Um, because I I thought she was human going into it, and like the movie started, and I was like, oh, I guess she's an alien. Okay. And yeah. so it, it, I sort of like was already of a mindset to believe that she was human. So it didn't like, yeah, you know, shock me I, or anything. It comes pretty early on. Um, I like um, the Talos. I like his line when they're looking at her memories and like they're looking at them all out of order. And he's like, "Is anybody else confused?" <laughs> like, <laughs> he's talking to his is you know the other people of the ship with him because they're trying to find something out and they weren't expecting to find out she was from Earth, obviously, but. I was like, yeah, you know, I remember the first time watching this. Like, yeah, I'm confused. I don't know what's happening. Yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of, uh, that was Ben Mendelsohn as Talos. And he was, of course, in uh, Rogue One. And, oh, yeah. Um, he was in The Dark Knight Rises. He plays normally villains. So it was neat to have him cast as ostensibly the villain of this film. Yeah. And they kind of, you know do that about face on you now what about that twist when you find out that the scrolls are really yeah i thought uh, that was interesting i thought that was probably the the most interesting plot point that i didn't see coming was it sort of like makes you yeah it it turns everything around and makes you reassess sort of how you've seen things in other movies as well and we already knew that ronan was by the time we see him in guardians um, he was sort of a rogue, um, yeah, you know, uh, operative, and they, so they call him a, a Cree fanatic. You know, yeah. he was sort of had broken off from the the official Cree government. So let's by talk Guardians of the about that. I, I I know we're kind of jumping ahead into like pushing, sure. putting this in the um the the bigger picture, but I want to make sure that I understand some parts of like how the Cree fit in. So what we saw in guardians, the backdrop to that was that the Cree had signed a peace treaty with who? With the, um, the Nova Corps, the, the Nova people Corps. of uh, okay. Xandar. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Zan- the Zand- the Zandarians. And we saw, um, the one of the um, one of this team, one of um, Young Rug's team, is now working for um, Ronan. Ronan. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's his name is Korath. Korath. Uh, Korath the Pursuer. Yeah, he was the guy who had the great scene with um, Star Lord at the opening of yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, and he's like, who? Yeah, um, and so th- these should be clues that. Captain Marvel at the beginning is not on the right side of things. Yeah. You know, they're talking to Ronan. You're like, wait, I've seen that guy before as the bad guy in another film. Um, if you were a comic book fan, you would uh, recognize Jan Rog as a nemesis to Captain Marvel. He's also in like the Star Force, but he's like a jealous kind of, you know, nemesis person, a rival uh. to uh, Captain Marvel. So you'd be like, okay, he's kind of a bad guy in the comics, and that guy's definitely a bad guy, and, like, this is not a good crew to be a part of, yeah. you know? Um, but even the fact that the scrolls turn out to be on uh, the good guys, or at the very least, you know, 
refugees basically yeah. just trying to make it um, would surprise comic book fans because in the comics, the scrolls are definitely bad guys. Uh-huh. They've got that shape-shifting ability. They infiltrate planets. They're bad people. And so the it, it, that was... I, I like stuff like that where they'll be able to surprise people even who have read the comics. Yeah, you know, for sure. you're like, oh, okay. I wasn't expecting that. Um, and I certainly was not expecting the scrolls to be uh, the good guys in this at all. So you know, they it, were it turns out then that she like managed to kill a bunch of them <laughs> yeah. while she was like escaping them. Granted, like they they went around about it sort of the wrong way. Yeah, and he they kind of talk about that where she was like, you know, last time we talked, you strung me up on my ankles, and he's like, I didn't know who you were. I didn't know that the Kree had brainwashed you. Basically, I thought you were just another Kree, you know, soldier uh-huh. that that you know were you know was a bad guy. You were a bad guy to me. Yeah. And so, um, but he still didn't want to kill her. There's a part where they draw guns on her in the ship, and he's like, no, put not yet. Yeah. And it's because they're trying to. They want that, and they want her alive so they can try to find what they want to find. Yeah. Um, but so you get, but they they still like the um, the scroll who is impersonating Agent Coulson uh, pulls a gun on Nick Fury. You know, so mm-hmm. they're you know they're they're soldiers, and uh, you know on yeah. on both sides, and they have to you know kill to to get ahead. Whether the the Kree were unjust in starting that war, you know, is that's another. You know, yeah. t- topic of conversation. But the Talos has a line towards the end. You know, he talks about how his hands are filthy from the war. Yeah, and so kind of uh, make sure he. You know, we understand he he's killed people, and that's you know he feels bad about it. But it's stuff he's had to do. Right. Um, <clears throat> the speaking of Agent Coulson, what, what were you surprised to see um, Nick Fury and Agent Coulson in this one? I was, yeah, I was surprised and I was happy to see, um, you know, Agent Coulson is kind of a fan favorite. Um, so it was yeah. cool to see him again. Uh, it was cool to see Fury as like, just basically just a shield operative, like a shield agent. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Before yeah. he kind of like, you know, rose to power um, in prominence. Um, it was neat to see him with, how he lost his eye. I thought that was yeah. um, a funny touch. Like he gets scratched and he's like, Oh, it's just a scratch. And then it cuts to, um, Talos and he Talos. like shakes his head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I like, I liked the fake out before that near the beginning, he's in a car accident yeah. and he's got this like ice pack over his eye and he's like, how's your eye? And he's like, Oh, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a little cut. You're like, oh, okay, this isn't where he lost. Yeah. It. Yeah. No, it was good. Um, Sam Jackson is, is always great. Um, he's always fantastic. So, uh, I thought, and I thought the, um, you know, the little de-aging effect, um, was done really well. Absolutely. The de-aging, this was, I mean, it's been used in many Marvel movies before and in many films, but this was the first one where it was like, it's pretty much the whole whole time. Yeah. And so it's a character who's in a bunch of scenes because normally it's just like a flashback. You know, it's like a scene that's normally not that long and they they, they just show you enough to be like, oh, look, he's young. And then they cut away. Like, don't look too closely at it. But he's in a bunch of scenes and they're obviously very proud of it. And of course, Samuel L. Jackson is... Um, somebody, I guess like the other ones they've done before, Michael Douglas and Kurt Russell, but he's somebody who's been in a ton of movies, including a bunch of movies in the nineties. Yeah. So they're able to use those as reference yeah, yeah. to help, you know, design it. Uh, and I think that's why agent Coulson isn't in it as much. 
and looks kind of weird. Yeah, <laughs> Com- yeah. Com- compared to, so it's just it, it goes to show you that kind of like that deep fake technology really thrives on lots and lots and lots of data. Yeah, for sure. So somebody like Samuel Jackson will be seeing young versions of him for many years because there's so much uh, <laughs> reference footage yeah. of of him. But I, I absolutely love the scene. And did you know it was going to be set in 1995? No, I didn't. I, I, was, <laughs> I was wondering how they were going to um, I was wondering how this was going to sh- shake out. So my prediction uh, was that we were going to see basically, I guess, what we're about to see in the next movie which is that she shows up and helps the Avengers post snapping. Um, yeah. So I guess that'll be in, in game. And I, for, uh-huh. I, I, it makes sense, you know, origin. I, I even said it to, to Megan. Um, we were talking about what we expected out of this and I was like, there's no way we get another origin story. We don't have time for origin <laughs> stories, but I mean, they, they sort of neatly circumvent that by saying, ah, this is a long time ago, you know? Yeah. You know? So I, I think it worked. Um, I think they were a little heavy handed by trying to cram a lot of nineties, like, <laughs> music and references into into it um especially yeah. with the music like everyone's got like a radio on and just so you can they can prove like look it's the 90s <laughs> yeah. or like when she yeah. uh is when she like rigs up that payphone to call in to her mentor enemy to young rug um the yeah. first time i like that mentor enemy <laughs> <laughs> I, I wrote that everywhere until i finally i paused it and i was like can you look up his name because i'm tired of writing that <laughs> and she looked it up for me um mentor enemy <laughs> <laughs> so uh when she calls him there's she's there's like a bunch of like band posters and stuff and um, yeah. one of my favorite albums uh ever melancholy and the infinite sadness by the pumpkins gets prominent uh feature right there <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. Also, so Bush and Ani DeFranco. Um, yeah, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. It's very, very. The, I guess the people who wrote it and directed, like, it was just all about that '90s music. Oh yeah. Uh, it's one of Amanda's favorite parts about it is the soundtrack. Yeah. Uh, it's all the stuff she listened to when she was growing oh, yeah. up. Uh, the uh, and like it's all kinds of stuff too, but it's mainly that kind of like grunge, uh-huh. like alt rock stuff. Uh, you know, she's wearing Nine Inch Nails shirt yeah. uh, for several sequences in the film. Uh-huh. And of course, um, no doubt is the is like that final fight yeah. on in the laboratory, yep. um, and then it ends with um, a uh, hole. hole. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's which it's, it's although great. that song was not mid nineties, most no. of most everything was accurate to like mid nineties, <laughs> except for that. That yeah. came out in like ninety nine or two thousand. I, I was Amanda and I we were watching this we were talking about it and it's it, it kind of it's more like to me like the wedding singer the wedding singer takes place I think in 1986 uh, or like a specific year but like there's all kinds of stuff that are just like hey it's the 80s yeah. like the, it's more of like a pastiche you know like they're adding all these elements together yeah. to give you like the vibe of it because. You know, if you picked out any random like week in 1986, it wouldn't necessarily scream 86, you know, but you got to throw in the Rubik's Cube, uh-huh. and somebody yeah. marveling over CD technology yeah. and stuff like, yeah, you know, yeah. like just to kind of, hey, remember this? Right. And, I, and I, it really doesn't bother me that much unless it's like a historical film. If it's a sure. historical film and they're showing like cars that shouldn't have been out then and like that does bug me because it's like, what were you doing? Why'd you do yeah, this yeah. if you weren't going to take it seriously? But uh, in a movie like this, you know, but I, they definitely hit it really early on where she crashes through the roof of a blockbuster. The blockbuster. 
And then yeah. he, he's like, we're going to get communication technology. And he points to the radio shack. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was, that was good. And then the one, the one little sort of nineties joke that I did think was pretty funny. Uh, they, they, the beat, like the timing of it was perfect. was when they, he's got this recording of like the black box <laughs> when, yeah. of the, the plane crash and it's on a CD and like they pop it in and it sort of like pans around like or cuts around everybody's face looking real serious like as it's getting ready to start and it just keeps cutting around <laughs> and like you see the bars loading and finally she's like <laughs> she's like what what are we doing what are we doing here <laughs> and, and uh, yeah. uh Fury's like it's loading and he realized like his serious look was just him like spacing out while he was waiting <laughs> It just it, like that hit me just right. I thought it was that yeah. uh, that summed up the '90s very well to me. They had another sequence with computers that was great, and like it makes you like really appreciate even when your computer's being weird. You know, you're like, oh, at least it's not then. Where she's in that like internet cafe, yeah. like searching something, <laughs> and then it just like and she's like on Alta Vista or something, yeah. and then it it just says like the device has been disconnected yeah. or something. And it's, what does that even mean? Right. <laughs> Nothing, you know. So it was it was definitely a blast from the past, which I I very much enjoyed all the all the '90s stuff. Yeah. Um, let's see. Oh, let's talk about that that uh, that that flurkin. Um, <laughs> yeah. I really thought when I first watched this, I thought the joke would be that like cats are like hated throughout the universe oh. <laughs> and they're they're called flurkins and like they just people know like how awful they are, you know, because cats can be you know just terrible creatures even though we love them. Uh-huh. Uh, but then like the reveal that it's yeah. not a cat at all yeah. <laughs> it has those horrible tentacles and it, he tries to get it to do it on command. And of course yeah. it's, you know, it, you feel like cats and flurkins are definitely related to each other. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they have some, some common ancestor cause they act very similarly. Yeah. I thought that was, that was, I, I liked that as a plot point and as a, like a little character, his name was goose. I'm assuming that's a top gun sort of reference. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think absolutely. That, that was funny. Because um, yeah, his the sequences with Goose and um, you know Rambo and Danvers, you know that would have been 1989. So that would have been like peak, like top in their you know the Air Force uh-huh. and all that stuff. So like peak peak Top Gun stuff. Yeah. Uh. So the the cat, it, presumably, it was Doctor Lawson's. Yeah, that's what I would think. So, and that yeah. she probably knew what it was. Yes. Okay. And kept it to maybe ward off, because um, no, like the Kree and the scroll don't seem to, you know, like it very much. Maybe she had like it as an eccentric pet, yeah. or maybe it was some sort of defense right. system for yeah. her. Also, very convenient that it can like hold important things inside <laughs> its body. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had kind of, I mean, I hadn't forgotten, but I, I forgotten that like moving the tesseract around was such a piece of the the last part of this film yeah and nick fury was refusing to touch it uh was smart because we've seen it especially like what happened with red skull and you know yeah. what would have happened if he just like sure no problem and picked it up right. you know like the whole point is that humans can't really interact with those stones yeah um so we see that she basically got her powers from the space stone yep uh, which kind of makes her it, it'll be interesting to see if this ever happens um 
it would have been interesting to see her and Scarlet Witch interact because of she got her powers from the Mind Stone. Oh yeah. And so you know, like all these superheroes who have powers like that are deriving from these stones. Right. Um. So let's talk, can we talk about this. This talk ahead. about the stone. I know we're we're. I'm jumping way ahead. I know you've got your the segments for these, but I had to pause it cool. and uh, like do a little refresher of <laughs> where we've seen the the space stone or you know, slash the Tesseract and kind of how it got around. Cause it, you know, it gets a little confusing. Yeah. Um, sure. So we first see it, correct me if I'm wrong in Captain America. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so we see Red Skull take it from this secret hiding place. It was in a, ch- like an old church and, uh, was it Norway? In Norway. Yeah. Um, and so he has it, and that's what is, you know, fueling or powering their, uh, what's his group Hydra called? Huh? Hydra. Hydra, right. Oh, right. Okay, duh. Um, and so at the end, it gets dropped in the ocean. Um, right? Yeah, it falls if after it, like, uh, whisks away Red Skull. You know, in a beam of like, it almost kind of looks like the Bifrost, sort of. Yeah. You know, kind of like beams them up. Uh, it melts through the ship and falls into the ocean. And at the the ending sequence of Captain America, I believe we see Howard Stark recovering the Tesseract from underwater. Okay, so back in the forties, presumably. So Shield has had the Tesseract. Yeah. So I guess that's what I don't understand. How does Lawson get it in the eighties? So she <clears throat> infiltrated Earth and posed as a human and then somehow got to work with S.H.I.E.L.D. So Pegasus was like a joint venture between like S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Air Force, okay. is my understanding. So okay. she, she, had, she somehow convinced the people of Earth to give her access to this thing. Gotcha. And then, and then kept it on the spaceship or, you know. It, it is interesting to, to chart like where it's been from the 40s till the 90s and because we know eventually shield you know shield has it at the end of this the florkin throws it up and then shield keeps it on earth because then they show it to dr selvig yeah and loki gets it Mm -hmm. and then at at the end of that um thor takes it back to the throne to the 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 the, to asgard for safekeeping the treasure room yeah and the the fact that Red Red Skull found it in um, Norway kind of ties to the fact that it has its roots in Asgard anyway. Maybe some Asgardians left it in Norway for safekeeping. Yeah. Because it was in the carving yeah. of the world tree. Right, right. And that village in Norway was the same one the Frost Trolls tried to invade. Yep. Yeah. Um, so the Frost Giants. Trolls. I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I get I get all my mythology mixed up uh, with the Thor stuff, but um, they um, so the, you know the the implication there is that it the Asgardians had it at one point and maybe left it behind. Yeah, uh, and yeah, so and and then there it is, and then of course the Asgardians took it from Asgard uh, when it was destroyed, and that's where we were in Infinity War with Thanos smashing it. And putting it in his gauntlet. Yeah. So that's that's the brief history of it. I, I it, yeah, 
the I think that big period is like Howard Stark to Marvel, like you know, how did it happen? But that's my headcanon is that, you know, Shield was maybe not too interested in messing with it, but so much, yeah. you know. Um, but uh, maybe they didn't have people, you know, it was maybe a little out of Howard Stark's depth. And so they were like, you know what, maybe we better lock this away for a couple yeah, of years. Sure. Until we're, if Howard Stark can't figure it out, we're, we're not ready. Right. Uh, that would be a neat little uh, side story. Um, let's see, what else do I have in my notes? I liked um, the dual role of Annette Benning. You know, she played uh, Marvell. And who was Carol Danvers' like original mentor, and then she appeared. That's how the appearance she takes for the Supreme Intelligence, mm-hmm. which is this AI program that runs Kree society. Yeah, essentially, and is kind of like, especially in their last interaction, kind of uh, malevolent, like a, a you know, yeah. a hostile. Uh, you know, you wouldn't expect uh, an AI to maybe have that. You know, you'd expect, like, dispassionate, you know, yeah. reasoning logic. But she almost takes pleasure and like, tormenting uh, yeah. Carol Danvers. Um, that was, uh, I thought, probably the coolest scene in the movie um, was she showed Carol all these, like, a little, all these images of her failing, basically. Like, yeah. falling down, being pushed down, crashing her bike, crashing this go-kart. Uh, failing during you know training for the air force and then you saw like a montage of those same moments and that every time she got back up you know and yeah. like, kept trying or kept kept going and i thought that was a neat um a neat uh i liked how they did that it was yeah um i don't know it spoke to her character i think that's sort of like the root of what makes her likable um yeah is I- is is like her drive and determination Absolutely. I think it, it's telling, you know, she was, the Supreme Intelligence was trying to use that to, you know, defeat her, you know, demotivate her. And it, it's just their lack of understanding of humanity. Yeah. Uh, you know, realizing, no, that's a motivating thing. Yeah. And uh, she was able to, even when she's like, you know, bound in that interface, you know, was able to uh, break free and burn out her little sensor. Yeah. And in doing so, level. unlock really her like full potential yeah and, and i really really loved the final scene between her and jude law where he's <laughs> yeah. and like in, in in any like lesser movie that might have been a thing where she took the bait you know where he's like let's do it without powers and, yeah you know prove to me that you can do this and she just blasts him across I, so at, as that scene was starting i i <laughs> i thought of the indiana jones scene yeah, where like yeah. you think it's yeah. going to be this big scene like this guy like with the swords and he just winds up just shooting him uh but i remember yeah. thinking like why doesn't she just do that like we're gonna have to see her fight <laughs> and, like and she's she's gonna like take it easy and then it's gonna come back to bite her and <laughs> and so i was i was glad to see that it was kind of like a page from that book like yeah and he was definitely trying to goad her into that like, yeah maybe she i can thought- trick her and defeat her you know <laughs> yeah yeah well jude law plays it so well because he's he draws his weapon and he has his little like like whatever like weird stasis weapon in his other hand uh-huh. and as she's approaching and she kind of flickers the power and he has this look in his face like i'm not going to be able to do this right he's <laughs> just so seeing see her like, like fly through space and blow up like spaceships <laughs> with her body yeah yeah, she punched his spaceship to the ground. Yeah. So he's like, okay. And you see him like, I've got to 
come up with some other plan. Like, that's the best he has. And I think even he knew it wouldn't work. Yeah. <laughs> but he, he just had to try something. But the just that bodily launching of him and he hits that rock yeah. is so satisfying. Very interesting uh, that her decision to send him back with that message. Mm-hmm. And it makes me wonder, like, if that... And we don't know what she has done when she goes back, when she goes off mm-hmm. in space, presumably, you know, to kick some butt and get everybody to stop killing each other. Um, but presumably that sort of has informed, you know, stuff that we see like the Cree ha- have presumably been signing peace treaties with all these other people that they've been fighting. Yeah. Uh, it, in the events of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, they're signing, they've signed the peace treaty with another you know, so presumably that's something that she has had a hand in helping yeah. bring about. I could see that. Um, and then I like know. that way of thinking that she's she's sort of kind of making the Kree, you know, change their evil ways. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then certain people like Ronan just don't can't can't go with the flow. Yeah, I think another like clue that I didn't pick up the first time, but watching it the second time when you see these um the ships when they're going to that one planet to try to smoke out the they're, they're trying to find their like missing agent mm-hmm. and their scrolls on the planet and you see their ships and they look just like the dark aster yeah and like it's like oh that's kind of a visual clue too that these are not good guys yeah yeah because that's like the the actual ship you know that you know or at least that same design uh, i i really like that uh i i think we should see there should be a Captain Marvel 2, and it's set in 2003. And instead of all the grunge, it's just, like, new metal, you know. Uh, and they can just really go in all in on that. Yeah, you know? that'd be fantastic. Um, so <clears throat> it's time for... Uh, it's um, I've, I've written Marvel and crossed it out. It's the, your comics pop quiz. Okay. Come on down to Aaron's pop quiz corner. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> So, uh, I mentioned this before in another podcast, uh, or in a previous episode, I should say, of this podcast. Uh, DC Comics also has a character named Captain Marvel. The name is trademarked by Marvel, however, and so DC eventually had to change the name hmm. of that character. So, what is the name of that character now? Oh. Is it A, a Batman, B, Green Lantern, C, Shazam, or D, Martian Manhunter? <laughs> These are all real DC Comics characters. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we don't have a DC expanded universe. Um, <laughs> shots, shots fired. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go. Yeah. I, so by the way, I have to like hate on DC now because I can't hate on like comic adaptations <laughs> in general like I used to. This is gotta hate somebody. Right? Into this. Gotta gotta nuke something. Yep. I'm gonna go with Martian Manhunter because it's hilarious. <laughs> it's actually Shazam. Ah, okay. Uh, which which was a movie that came out, um, I want to say, f- uh, a few months ago, but like oh, in late 2019. Yeah, he was kind of like a goofy. <laughs> yeah, like I didn't get it. <laughs> yeah, so uh, he it's played by Zachary Levi, who was actually in the MCU. He played huh. uh, a Fandral, I believe, one of the Warriors Three. Oh, he was yeah. Re- he was recast in the Dark World, and so he was a very small part in the Dark World, and then was killed almost immediately yeah. in Thor Ragnarok. 
Um, so Captain Marvel uh, was a popular superhero comic in the 40s during World War II. Mm-hmm. And it was published by a company called Fawcett Comics. And Detective Comics, uh, who's now known as DC Comics, but back then they were called Detective Comics. That's where they get the DC from, okay. I believe. Uh, sued them for copyright infringement because they felt that Captain Marvel was a knockoff of Superman. Uh, and he he had a, a red uniform with a gold cape and a gold lightning bolt on his chest. And back then, like, superheroes... Like, nowadays, if you do, like, a superhero like that with a lightning bolt on its chest or, like, just a big muscly guy with a, you know, a one-piece suit and a cape, like, the people aren't like, oh, that's a ripoff of Superman. That's just, like, shorthand for superhero, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but back in the 40s, I guess there weren't that many. Right. <laughs> so they're like, oh, that looks just like our guy. You can't do that. <laughs> and um, so... And he had the whole, like, double life. He was one person. Yeah. And he became the superhero. So um, they had this big, like, long, drawn-out legal battle over a couple years in the 50s about it. And during that time, Fawcett's trademark lapsed for Captain Marvel. Uh, they weren't able to make any more ones, so it, it lapsed. And Marvel Comics uh, was like, hey... That's our name. <laughs> let's let's do it. So they got their legal team and they're like, what would it take? So they went ahead and trademarked the name and started publishing comics uh, about a superhero named Captain Marvel. Uh-huh. Totally different character. Um, but because that name wasn't in use, they were able to swoop in and, and grab it. Interesting. And and so that was uh, that version of Captain Marvel was Marvel. Uh, so Annette Benning's character was kind of like a gender swapped uh, like reimagining of that superhero. And uh, Marvel was was in a lot of different people have held the mantle of Captain Marvel over the years, um, but he was you know relatively popular. This was during the Silver Age of comics, which was like the '60s, is when he was you know really there, and he was <clears throat> a part of the cosmic line of superheroes. Uh-huh. He was a Kree uh, who came to Earth and um, <clears throat> was sent to spy on Earth, but then ended up liking Earth so much he he started sympathizing with them. Uh, he, he also fought the scrolls and he, he fought a bunch of different people. Um, DC comics, uh, finally, you know, they were, they wanted more, uh, characters. They were like, you know, we need to go because Marvel's on the rise. DC comics was, you know, the big name was Superman and Batman and all these other ones. Yeah. During the silver age, they're like, we need more. So they, and they knew that Captain Marvel was, uh, you know, something that, marvel was doing so they're like you know what if we got the original captain marvel maybe we could trade in a little bit on their name and show them why it's a bad idea to trademark the name of somebody else's character so they got the rights um they couldn't call their comic book captain marvel even though they could call the character captain marvel so they called the comic book shazam and shazam was what he said i guess when he trades like his catchphrase yeah and so they they wanted to subtitle it shazam the original Captain Marvel, <laughs> but but that did not work. Marvel gave them a cease and desist letter, and so then they just called him like the might the mightiest hero or something like that, something generic. And he is you know kind of a also ran Superman. Like people didn't really fall in love with that version of the character, um, but and they they could never you know they wanted to use him, but they could never call the comic book Captain Marvel. So. Uh, eventually, it took all the way till 2012 where they were like, you know what? Let's just rename him Shazam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just to make it easy. People already call him Shazam because the book is called Shazam and yeah. it's confusing. Um, but 
but yeah, I, I thought that was a, it's a, it's a weird convoluted thing. I just, the idea of lawyers getting involved in comic books and arguing in court about like how similar two comic book <laughs> characters are is just so exciting to me. It's like, ah, I want to go back in time and have that be my job <laughs> like in the forties and like have like two giant pictures, like a picture of Captain Marvel and a picture of Superman. I'd be like, look how similar these two characters are. And like, That's your job. You can pay a lot of money to do it. Yeah. You know, that's, uh, that idea is just so fascinating to me. <laughs> um, so, also in, in my trivia corner here, uh, I mentioned the sc- scrolls are traditionally bad guys. Um, the Carol Danvers is the seventh person to be called Captain Marvel. Originally, her character's name was Ms. Marvel. Because, hmm. uh, you know, Marvel wanted to be like, oh yeah, look, you know, girls can be superheroes too. Which is commendable, but they always gave them kind of those diminutive, uh, you know, yeah. like uh, superhero names, right. like, you know, Invisible Girl and Ms. Marvel. And, yeah. You know, so they, uh, you know, eventually they realized like, oh, you know what, because Carol Danvers is a, and, you know, and all the, the women in the comic books were like secretaries or nurses or something, you know, yeah. so like all these traditionally female ones. So, uh, but of course they reimagined her uh, in more modern times as as a captain, like she was in this movie, a captain in the Air Force. Uh-huh. So, C- captain Marvel uh, is is there, is there? She's the current person to hold the, the title, Captain Marvel. So, Megan told me that she remembered there being some backlash from like a a small a, a sub community of fans who didn't like the that it was a female lead. So it's funny. That's actually my next bullet point. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> so there was a campaign to like take down this film, uh, brought to you by the same people who led online campaigns against the Last Jedi. Yeah. That 2016 Ghostbusters remake with all oh, women. Yeah. Um, there are people who tried to take down the Black Panther movie. Wow. And what these guys do is just you know they've they try to like hype up some kind of problem with the lead. Uh, in this case, it was Brie Larson. They described her as sexist towards men uh, uh, because uh, of her publicized comments where she was uh, complaining about the lack of diversity in Hollywood and also in Hollywood, like in film critics, where she's like, it's overwhelmingly like white men reviewing these films. And she's like, that is difficult when not all films are made for white men to enjoy. Right. So like, how can they accurately, you know, rate them? Yeah. And And so, of course, people like just, completely took that out of context and like ran with it and this huge campaign about how she like hates men and oh it's, she says you know movies are not for them and wow, all this that's stuff insane. and yeah it's ridiculous and so they tried to um they they tried to put they posted early reviews on rotten tomatoes rotten tomatoes has changed their policy um finally after this movie where you can't post reviews before the movies come out because they would post fake reviews before the movie came out criticizing her acting and all this stuff Gosh. Like, you haven't even seen it yeah um there was the that hashtag you know get woke go broke uh it's and which is just so hilarious to me because those two films that are targeted by that hashtag were black panther and captain marvel which are two of the most successful like you know <laughs> movies of all like they each raised over a billion dollars like yeah. those campaigns are just the most resounding failure you could ever imagine <laughs> and of course you know as they're like lick their wounds and you know after because all this energy and it didn't work they're like oh well disney bought theaters they they they, they bought the tickets themselves uh which is just <laughs> insanity absurd. yeah 
but that's what these people think. Um, so, but yeah, there was, it was particularly vicious on this one because the kind of people who hate those movies particularly hate Brie Larson. I find, um, I, I mean, it's an understatement to say that that kind of behavior and mentality is incredibly tiresome and (laughs) I just, I can't wrap my head around somebody who actually thinks that way. Yeah. Um, and it, it blows my, it does blow my mind that like that sort of, you know, hate and misogyny exists in, well, this, this was 2019. Um, yeah. I, it, ju- it really does blow my mind. And, you know, more power to everyone involved for pushing through and, and making the movie they wanted to. Yeah, it's, uh, and, and here's too many more. I know um, Black Widow got delayed, but that's going to be the next one. It's crazy that it, it did take to film 21 um to have a female-led film yeah uh but you know and and so hopefully we'll see many more in 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 the thing and the whole mentality was that they wouldn't make movie people wouldn't come see it if or the, the money the movies wouldn't make money uh-huh. people wouldn't go see it little boys wouldn't want to go see a movie about a girl who's a superhero and you know again the 1.1 billion dollars just shows like just make the movie, you know, yeah. be creative and, and make the movie because like people will come see it if it's a good movie. So they, they and, were they were only they were partially wrong. I'm sure all the little boys loved the movie, but it was <laughs> the grown men who act like little boys didn't like it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, so we talked a lot about how this film fits into the larger narrative already. We've got the Tesseract, Nick Fury, Agent Coulson and S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. We've got Ronan the Accuser and Korath from Guardians of the Galaxy. This is my favorite kind of fitting into the larger narrative because it touches different, many different places, Uh you know, Um, like in Thor Ragnarok, where it it touched, you know, you've got, of course, you've got the whole Thor universe and but then you've got Bruce Banner and Hulk, which touches, you know, where he went in in Age of Ultron. But then you had the whole Doctor Strange component. Yeah. Like, I, I love stuff like that, where it's like it just... It just fits in so nicely. Yep. I agree. And Uh, that is, I think that's like the payoff really for like watching all these movies and not missing them and actually paying attention to them. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, I mean, that's when it really starts to get kind of fun, you know, as for a viewer, you kind of see like this, you know, the, the larger universe and, and I don't know, that's very enjoyable to me as well. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, I think the other thing is how it ties into a future movie and when we get the little teaser of, uh, the next film Endgame, and we get a, a note that says Captain Marvel will return in Avengers Endgame. Yeah. So let's talk about that. So my prediction was entirely wrong. I thought this was going to be, <laughs> um, about like Captain Marvel showing up to save the day. Um, which in retrospect, uh, of course we need to see who she is and how she came about and exactly what her powers and limitations are and are not before she can just show up and save the day. But mm-hmm. presumably she's, right. I, I, so my theory still stands though, that this is, that we are still on the timeline that Dr. Strange saw where they, uh, win. So that's still my theory okay. that we're still on that timeline. She's going to, figure something out to bring back all those people because they i know they're not they're not snapped for good no way no how okay all right 
Well, I'm, I'm excited to see uh, if your prediction is accurate. Um, that is our next film, by the way, Avengers Endgame. That's exciting. There's only two left. I, um, I, I, don't, I don't think when I started this that I, I realistically was thinking about the fact that I would watch 23 comic book <laughs> movies. But, but now that I'm here, yeah. like, I'm, I'm glad that I've done it, and um, I'm really looking forward to Endgame. Um, just to see what happens and how this all wraps up. Yeah. Um, so we, we touched on the infinity watch. Of course we didn't see any new stones, but we did see our old friend, the Tesseract. Yep. Um, and yeah, uh, I guess everything else is still where it was supposed to be in the nineties. Um, so we've talked about what you know about in game. Uh, which is just your theory, basically. So, yes, and 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 I also this was the one where uh, I have some potential evidence that that supports my theory that everyone's not dead, because this was the one where I think I remember hearing somebody talk about, oh my gosh, I can't believe that Iron Man's dead, and so I think uh-huh. that's my big spoiler that I got spoiled a long time ago for this uh-huh. ga- this movie. I don't know. I, I have not looked anything up, but I think yeah. that's what happens. And I think that that wouldn't be such a big deal if everyone else was also dead. So that's another mm. uh, a piece of evidence for me that points to they're somehow going to unsnap all those people that got snapped. Okay. Because otherwise, well, Nick- like, why is just one more guy dying a big deal? <clears throat> yeah. Well, I guess there's only one way to find out, uh, yeah. which is what? to watch Avengers Endgame, which will be episode 22, yeah. movie 22, coming next week. Nick, you got to watch this. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We want to hear from you. You can reach out to us on email at you gotta watch this podcast at gmail.com. You can also reach us at Facebook or Instagram at you gotta watch this podcast or on Twitter at gotta underscore watch. Thanks.